0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part two of our series in the book of Jonah. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. We do this thing here where before we read our opening passage of scripture, I like to get us to stay standing. Uh, I don't explain it much, but I feel like explaining it today. I just happen to believe that there is power in the word of God. I know it's like a crazy thing, but I truly believe the Bible is the words of God. Like God has spoken to us. And uh, the reason I encourage us to stand is to number one, honor the word of God, but also to posture ourselves to receive the word that God has for us. Is there someone ready to receive something today? Come on. So we are going through the whole book of Jonah over the next number of weeks. And I'll give you a little context before I read. Jonah, last week, God called him. He said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah ran the opposite direction, and he got stuck in some ish. Come on, somebody. And so big, gigantic storm. The sailors of the boat that Jonah has hopped on to run away from God are trying to figure out what's going on, what's next. We finished last week. They casted some lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 8 now. It says, so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Verse 9, Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. I have a title today, but this title uh, is also a question. Simply this, three words. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Come on, let's put our hands together for one more time. You guys can take a seat this morning. So glad that you could be with us today. Thank you so much, worship team. Uh, Just for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Uh, Hey, first summer service, May long weekend. Thank you for joining us in the midst of the smoke. So glad you guys can make it here. Uh, I believe it's going to rain tomorrow, so that should hopefully help a little bit with these fires. And yeah, so thank you guys for being here. Uh, So much planned this summer. Uh, We're going to open these garage doors up after service normally. With the smoke, we're going to keep them real closed. Uh, But in the coming weeks, we're going to have things outside, Ice coffees making a comeback. Come on, somebody. So, uh, hey, we're just so excited for the summer. With that being said, I'm excited to continue to dive through the book of Jonah. So, as you begin, I want to let you guys know something. Uh, My wife and I, we have been together for a long time. Uh, We actually started dating uh, when we were 18 years old. 18 years old, Christy and I started to date. Come on, somebody. Uh, And it just keeps getting better. No one likes that. Okay. <laughs> Stay in your marriage, folks, because it just keeps getting better. Um. There we there we go. You guys, like I don't believe it. Um. Anyways, we met when we were eighteen years old, and I remember uh, we started dating in pretty. Quickly, uh, I met Christy's entire family, and uh, I'll never forget, in particular, we were in the living room at her mom's house, uh, and her dad was there, and he asked me a pretty simple question. He just said, Harrison, tell us about yourself. <laughs> it's a pretty simple question, but it's also kind of open-ended, because the reality of what he was saying, really, and, and like a good father... Person seeing his daughter, what he's really just wondering is, who are you? Who are you? Tell us about yourself. Now, for me, in the best of times, I think I would probably struggle to, like, give a really good answer right away. But when I was 18 years old, come on, somebody, <laughs> like, I did not know how to answer that question. Like, what I, and to be honest, it was so long ago, I don't even remember what I said I know, like, I had just gotten my braces off at that time, so that was, like, the most important thing in my life. I think I, I probably, I had a retainer. I was probably just, like, slobbering, like, I'm studying psychology right now. Like, I don't remember exactly what I said um, because it's, a, it's a, a, a simple question, but it's actually a deep and complex question. Who are you? And... What I want to do today is I want to dig into that simple but complex question of who are you? Now, some of you guys are 18 years old, and so perhaps you also struggle to answer that question. But I would wager to guess, no matter what age you are, no matter what stage of life you are, this question carries some weight to it. And I would guess a lot of us wouldn't necessarily know how to answer the question if I were just to say, Hey, who are you? Tell me about yourself. Now, a lot of us, are like, well, I know exactly what I would say like, I'm a teacher or I'm, I'm a dentist, XYZ, but I want you to kind of like strip back those like career things or like your hobbies, your interests. Like, imagine you couldn't say any of those things in terms of what you do. Imagine you could tell no one what you do, all you could describe is who you are. I would wager to guess, many of us would struggle to give an answer to that question. But what I want to suggest today is that this small question has major implications for our lives. And I would go on to suggest this question of who we are, who am I, is perhaps the most important question we will ever answer in our lives. Those of us that are attuned to what's going on around us, you'd probably know that uh, there's a little bit of, I would call it, a crisis right now. There's a crisis of hopelessness. There's a crisis of of a lack of identity, of a lack of purpose. You guys have probably met more people than ever that are just like, you know what, I'm struggling. What I want to suggest is that beneath it all, because again, we have a whole bunch of reasons for why we think we're struggling, I would suggest as a whole, one of the reasons that as a culture, specifically here in the West, that we are struggling with hopelessness, with loneliness, with depression, with anxiety, all of these things, I would suggest a lot of it comes down to this idea that we don't know who we are. And so, what I want to do today is I want to dig into that question because I have a pretty simple premise. Who I am determines how I live. Who I am determines how I live. And so, we're going to go through Jonah in order to answer this question of who we are. You guys ready? Yeah. Everyone awake today? Smoke's not in your lungs, you guys can still give Jesus praise? Come on, a couple people. I'll get you guys going today, hopefully. So, we're in the book of Jonah. Last week, again, kind of just recapped it there, but God has given Jonah a message. Go to Nineveh. Jonah runs the opposite direction to Tarsish. And what we said is that when God calls you to do something, if you run in the opposite direction, you will always get stuck in some ish. I found out not everyone was as intelligent as I had hoped. The ish is a play on words for Tarsish. More you know. <laughs> if you missed week one, go check it out online because what we're going to do in this series is we're going to go through every verse in Jonah. It's going to be amazing. But uh, what we said is that there's this giant theme in the book of Jonah there's this theme of God's grace, God's mercy and God's judgment. We, we kind of see these things throughout, God's grace, God's mercy, God's judgment. And last week, what we did is we dug into this big question of like, if God knows everything, why would God choose someone to accomplish his purpose knowing that he would run in the opposite direction? And we kind of looked at our lives and we said, why does God call us to do things knowing Inevitably and eventually, we're probably going to drop the ball. And what we said, pretty simple, we said God chooses who he wants. That's the answer. God chooses who he wants to accomplish his purposes. And so, again, if you missed that message, go check it out. This week, I want to go more so into why did Jonah run from God's call? Last week was why did God call Jonah? This week, why did Jonah run from God? So we're going to answer that. Again, big storm. They figured out Jonah's the issue. The sailors say to him, verse 8, Jonah chapter 1, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Like Jonah, as if like he's been out late and his mom's like scolding him, like 20 questions, right? No one, okay. Um, But in essence, what they're saying to Jonah, pretty simple. They're saying, Jonah, who are you? Who are you? He answers, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, what we learned last week was that Jonah uh, was a prophet, Right? And what a prophet is, is God would give them messages, the prophet would deliver them to the people. Now what's funny is they ask Jonah all of these questions, he doesn't mention that he's a prophet. And like being a pastor, I think I kinda know why he didn't mention it, because there's certain occupations that I call conversation killers. <laughs> right, like for me, because I'm young, sometimes people are really like surprised when I'm a pastor, like you? I'm like yeah, me. But the other times, total conversation killers. Like, (laughs) we met our new neighbors. I told him I was a pastor. He didn't know how to respond. He's like, oh, that must be interesting. (laughs) And so Jonah, he's trying to skip all the hoopla of like being a prophet, doesn't mention any of those things, but he does give us some very important details. And in his answer, and this is the importance of scripture. There are so many small nuances that we can often miss. But in his answer, we actually get a giant clue as to why Jonah is running away from God. You're like, Harrison, in that passage of scripture, This giant clue? Yes. Now, to be honest, chapter four of Jonah helps it really make sense. But you guys all read it last week, right? For your Mother's Day homework. Everyone read the whole book of Jonah? Good. So you know what I'm talking about. But this verse lets us know why Jonah was running. So to recap, the place that God called Jonah to go was a place called Nineveh. Nineveh, we said, was a whole bunch of wicked, wicked, People. They were, they were messed up people, and, and the Bible says that their wickedness had come before the Lord. They were so messed up, so wicked that God had seen it, and he's, he's about to bring judgment. One of the ways in which the, the, the nation of Assyria um, was super wicked at that time was that they were extremely militaristic. And so they were known for conquering, and if you read uh, history, even outside of the Bible, they would conquer many times in extremely violent ways. Ways, Like I'm talking like nasty ways just to basically say, hey, we conquered you. And so one of the nations that they were always at war with or at least would cause trouble would be the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is where Jonah was from. When he says I'm a Hebrew, uh, Hebrew is another name for an Israelite. And so literally the message that God is giving Jonah, he's saying, hey, Jonah, your enemies The people of Nineveh, I need you to go and send them a message of judgment. Now, I want you to think for a moment of the people that you don't like. Now, I know some of you are like, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I like everyone. I get it. But like those moments you're not always like in the spirit. If you had to go say something to them, Like, I don't want to talk to people, but if you had to say something, like, a message of judgment might not be the worst thing. Like, I'm going to tell these people they're going to hell. Come on, somebody. Like, like, let's go. But this is important. We talked about this last week. Jonah's message of judgment and and God's messages of judgment, although judgment is involved more than anything, there are always invitations for grace grace. And mercy. There are always invitations to repent. And so, more than anything, the message that God is giving Jonah, and Jonah knows this, is a message of grace and mercy for his enemies. And Jonah, you need to understand, he didn't want these people to receive grace and mercy because these people were his enemies. You need to understand something. Grace and mercy is amazing until the people that you don't want to get grace and mercy get grace and mercy. And one of the things that we've said about the Old Testament, why I wanted to go through this book, is that when Jesus comes on the scene, he doesn't say new things. He just brings to light who he always was. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's not new. It's the same message to the Ninevites, to Jonah. But, We're beginning to see one of the core reasons why Jonah runs the opposite direction is because the message that God gave Jonah came in direct conflict with something that was core to the very DNA of who Jonah was. We need to see his response again. It's important. I told you, little things in scripture. They say, who are you? Again, he says, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, one Bible scholar says this. It's important. He says, since Jonah identifies himself first ethically, ethnically, then religiously, we may infer that his ethnicity is foremost in his self-identity. Because, again, all of these humongous questions, like, what do you do? Where do you come from? What's up? And he says, I worship God. Right? I worship the one that created the heavens, the sea. That's a part of who I am. But the very first thing that he says is I'm a Hebrew. Right? I'm an Israelite. And so for Jonah, what was primary, what was foremost in who he considered that he was, was his ethnicity. And so what this meant is that Jonah worshiped and followed God. It just wasn't the most important thing in his life. Is is anyone listening today? Because maybe there's someone here today that you worship. I follow the Lord. But there's something else in front of that. I'm a Hebrew. You see, up until this point, and Granted, we don't know a whole lot about the life of Jonah. He shows up in the book of 2 Kings, that's it. But he's a prophet. And for him, being a prophet, he's used to relaying these messages. they say, hey, you need to repent, you need to turn your ways, otherwise judgment is coming. And for Jonah, when he was speaking to his people, he was totally okay to preach those messages. If it meant that his people would turn their ways. But the moment... God says, hey, I want you to go outside of your people. I want you to go to outside, not just like of those who you're comfortable with, but I want you to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Suddenly, Jonah's core identity was challenged. And here's one of the things I want us to understand today as we get going. As you follow God, he will always challenge the core of who we are. And so, for him, for Jonah, and I think for us, it's easy to be faithful to God until it interferes with the bigger part of who we are, until it gets in the way of who I really am. So, I want to do two things today, two things. I want to talk about the need for identity, and I want to talk about the problem of identity. You're taking notes today, two things, the need for identity and the problem of identity. You guys following? So core to our DNA, core to who we are, to who I believe God has created us to be, all of us are trying to answer this core question of who we are. Core to the DNA of humans is we want to know, we need to know who we are. I want you guys, the next time you go home, it's a long weekend, so some of you like 12 hours, but the next time you start watching that Netflix show or movie, I want you to understand that in pretty well every single show that you watch, either the, the main subplot, the main, the main plot of the movie, or at least the primary subplot will always have something to do with identity. Identity. It'll always have something to do with the core character trying to figure out who they are. And the movies that we like the best, generally, are the movies with the greatest character development. In other words, we like to watch stories of people trying to figure out who they are. Y'all know This Is Us, remember that show? It's all about who we are, that's why you like it. That's why you cry, because like, I see myself. It's like, I love you, Jack, like I see that. <laughs> core to who we are as people is this question of who are we. And as parents to children, one of our core jobs, at least at the beginning, is we shape and help understand for our children who they are. One of the very first things that we do as parents is we name our kids. Now, as life goes on, your name becomes not necessarily even really a part of your identity. However, when you're young, and at the beginning of our lives, our names are foremost to our identity. When you're young, your name is who you are. We have twin girls, uh, Abigail and Kensley, identical girls. They look alike. I can tell them apart because I'm their dad. But one thing that you'll know if you, if you ever talk to them, um, if you mess their names up, the first thing they'll say to you is, I'm Kinsley, or I'm Abby, uh, because they want you to know who they are. And, like, I've never trained them to correct people, but I believe there is something in our DNA that who we are is important. And so you mess up my kids' names, they'll tell you. You got it wrong, mister. They don't talk like that, but. But the truth is, as we grow, this question doesn't go away. Some of you guys are maybe still in it, but some of you guys remember puberty. And one of the main markers of puberty as our bodies are changing is that inside of us, we're trying to figure out, who am I? And it's not just a a preteen thing because as life goes on, we get our first job. Maybe we don't like our first job. We get into relationships. And again, this question, whether we know it or not, it is bubbling within us. Who am I? who am I? Now, I believe there's a a parallel that stands beside this question of who am I. And that parallel question is this, where do I belong? Now, they stand parallel, meaning they're different. That's important. But oftentimes, what happens is the question of who am I shifts immediately to where do I belong? And so, Again, core to all of us is this great need to belong. One of the things that we say in church, it's in our values, we say people need to belong before they believe. Because there's something about humans, we're relational first, logical second. Right, like if I have good relationships, like I will do some pretty crazy things if I feel like I belong. Like a lot of times parents, like when your kids go wild, you're like, I can't, like I thought I raised them better I thought I taught them better. But the truth is, belonging will always trump belief. And if people feel like they belong, I know what I learned, I know what was correct, but I really feel like I belong. But here's the issue. All of us are so looking to belong that when we find places that we belong, we immediately believe this is who I am. If I belong somewhere, this just must be who I am. Now, they're important and they're close, but they're different. And what happens is, and I think for so many of us, the easiest path, instead of answering this question of who am I, we just begin to look for where do I belong. And so we go to jobs, we go to schools, we we go to sports, and like we find the places that we belong. And then what happens is when we belong, we begin to say, this is who I am. Well, who are you? I'm a hockey player. Well, who are you? I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a, I'm a businessman. I'm a doctor. The places we belong oftentimes are who we think we are. Right? For some of us, it's gender. I'm a man. I'm a woman. That's my pri- that's who I am. And understand, these are all parts of who we are but I would call these secondary identities. And what happens is when our secondary identities become our primary identities, we will never find peace. Because we're putting all of our eggs in a basket that simply can't hold it. And I'm I'm gonna speak about the problem of identity in a second, but I, I wanna just talk about where I think are a couple places right now in our culture where people are just looking to belong and therefore believing this is who they are. I believe right now we are in the midst of another, if you want to call it sexual revolution. Like we had one in the, in the 70s, 60s and it's it really never ended but I think we're in a new one right now. And what has happened, and I'm just gonna share some statistics with you guys but um, if you didn't know this, uh, Gen Z, where are my Gen Z at in the house today? A couple of people, that's like 18, uh, 19 to, to 25 or so. Um, but this generation, uh, and this is just interesting, this is just statistics, but um, people that identify uh, as LGBTQT+, um, the, the number of people has gone up substantially in the last generation. The highest generation ever was millennials uh, at 6%. And this was in 2014. Today, uh, for Gen Z, 20% of people identify as such. And I think one of the things that statistics show us is trends. And what I believe is one of the reasons that this number is going so high is because for a large group of people, they are finding a place where they feel like they belong. And as I said, belonging is extremely, extremely Attractive. But what happens, and, and, and that, that was just a stat that I have um, for that in particular. But all of us in different areas looking for places to belong, this happens in churches, right? denominations. And a lot of times if you've been in denomination world, your denomination can triumph like your allegiance to Jesus. Like I'm a Baptist, I'm a Pentecostal. Like, and I'm not, I'm not ripping on any. I'm just telling you how we work as people. We look for places that we belong. Now, whether it's church, whether it's sexuality, whether it's gender, whether it's hobbies, whether it's work, the issue is this. All of these things will never answer the core question of who we actually are. Because we're searching for something different. These things are parts, but not the whole. and so. What's the need for identity? Super simple, we all need to know who we are. What's the problem? (laughs) We choose the wrong things as our primary identities. And when we choose the wrong things as our identity, what I call secondary identities, we will always feel like we're missing something. So two things, two problems in particular when it comes to identity. Um, number one, every false or secondary, if you're taking notes, however you want to say it, every false or secondary identity promises more than it can deliver. I, I want you to think for a second. What do we say about romantic relationships? We say, I'm looking for my soulmate. If I can just find my soulmate, I know y'all watch The Bachelor still, whatever season we're on. But I want you to think for a moment what that connotates, soulmate. That there is someone literally that will bind and complete your soul. Listen, relationships are good. And I believe that God has designed marriage But marriage and relationships and sex are not ultimate. And if we build our identity around these things, you will always be left searching for more. Because no person can ever hold the weight of soul mate. I didn't mean for it to rhyme, but it kind of (laughs) worked. Every identity promises more than it can deliver. You see, for so many of us, the identity we strive after is just successful. If I can just be successful, then I'll be good. Just a few more dollars in my bank account, just, just a, a few more it's more security, then I'll be okay. But once again, it promises something it can't deliver. Can more money pay your bills? Yes. Can more money fix your soul? No. It's, it's not what you're looking for. But what happens is we strive, we strive, we strive. The places that we belong. Hoping that they're going to give us that which we need. Again, I think gender in our society is a huge one. People are trying to figure out what, what, what gender do I fit in? Do I fit into my gender or, or a different gender? Here's the truth. Gender is a part of who we are. It's not the whole. And what happens, listen to this, when we make it the whole, when we make it the ultimate, you'll never fit in. Because you're looking to something to complete all of who you are. But I don't check off every single box. But I want you to understand something, especially in the realm of of, of all that stuff we're talking about. When it comes to who we are, in every circumstance, God doesn't make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. Everything about you is created the way in which God intended it to be created. And so, what that means is for all of the things that we are looking for to fulfill, who am I? It's nothing out there, it's nothing different that's going to give you what you're looking for. I think this happens a lot of times in politics we got an election coming up. I'd ask who you're cheering for, but we don't need to get into that this morning. <laughs> but a lot of us say, man, if my party just wins, like, then life will be good. Then, then I'll have peace. Then I won't get stuck in this mess. For some of us, the identity that we hold on to is brokenness. You see, some of us are so used to pain, to bitterness, that it becomes core to our DNA. And the thought of ever leaving it is too much for us to bear. And there's something inside of us that says, well, if I, if I hold on to this, then people will at least know how badly they hurt me. I want you to understand that bitterness is promising more than it can deliver. It's never going to bring you freedom. The first issue with, with secondary or false identities is they promise more than they can deliver. Is that making sense? Second one is this. God's calling, God's callings will always confront our false identities. So the places that God wants to take us in the places that God wants us to go, those things that we determine are ultimate, are who we are, will come face to face with where God is calling you to go. Listen to me as I say this. Your bitterness has no place in the season of calling that God has for you. It just doesn't. Your anger, it has no place in the plans that the Lord has for you. It's promising you a lot. And some of us are actually living on a high by holding on to these destructive emotions but where God is calling you to go, it can never come. Because one of the first things the Holy Spirit's gonna call us to do is release bitterness, release rage, release malice, and let God begin to fix our brokenness. You see, God ultimately when he calls us He wants to challenge those false identities. The gospel of Jesus Christ, if you do not know this, it is simply this, it is that in Christ Jesus, we are one. That means that the things that divide us, gender, race, sexuality, these things that that are meant to tear us apart, the gospel says, all of these people are not too far from grace. And so what that means is that our job as believers is to go to the places, to go to the people that look different than us, that think different than us, then believe different than us. Here's the issue with secondary identities becoming primary identities. It always produces tribalism. What's tribalism? It's this idea that I can only stay within my tribe. And so if my primary identity Listen to this. Let's let's talk race for a second. I'm not white, so I can talk about it. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You can love your race, except if you're white. (laughs) It's true, right? Um, But what happens is this. If your primary identity is Indian, or like me, Scottish, Yeah, I'm a, I'm a whole mixture of things. I am Scottish, though. Shout out to my people. It <laughs> was, was that close? I don't know. Um, but, but, but listen, listen, listen. If race is your primary identity, then it's going to become really hard when God says, hey, listen, you need to forgive the people that maybe didn't treat your race the proper way. Because the gospel has this way of breaking down barriers. Or when God calls you to go to people that look different than you, that sound different than you, that speak different than you, if race is my primary identity, then I'm just gonna continue to build walls. And the gospel doesn't say there is no race. Like we, we are created different. The gospel doesn't say there are no genders. There are genders, there are races. But these are not our primary identities. And the gospel brings us up to this level playing field. And what God wants to do is God wants to tear down these false identities. So here's the question. Your primary identity, time and time again, comes down to what you worship. So what are you worshiping? If I'm worshiping the God of success, the God of gender, the God of race, the God of sex, what are we going to do when the gospel confronts it and says, I have something better for you? You see, Jonah in this story, as far as we know, again, we don't know a whole bunch about Jonah, but I can infer, he was fine to preach the gospel until it confronted his primary identity as a Hebrew, as an Israelite. And the gospel has this way of tearing things down and showing us who we really are. Now Jonah, I told you in this story, he's an interesting character because he's kind of the villain but then he's kind of the hero and he's kind of the villain. We're going to see the hero side for a moment. Jonah chapter one, verse 11, it says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Listen for a second. If you feel like your life is not getting better and better, but rougher and rougher, It could be that God's trying to get our attention. To let us know maybe you're running from the very thing that God's calling you to do. Or maybe you've built your identity on a faulty foundation. A lot of times, as I said last week, the ish that we get stuck in is God trying to get our attention. So Jonah says, verse 12, This is where things shift. He's been running. Now he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. It'll become calm. I know that this is my fault. This great storm has come upon you because of me. It's my fault. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So they're like, we're not throwing you overboard, bro. Like, and they just kept... Going and going and going. And I, I don't know, you know, how, how, how prophetically Jonah's asked, like, um, operating here. If God has said, you know, throw yourself overboard, or if Jonah just knows common sense, like, I'm the issue, I got to go. Either way, when we're not obedient to God, it's always going to be like we're rowing against the current. And so they cried out. And they said, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. So they're like, all right. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So the moment that they listen, the moment they obey, they throw Jonah overboard, the sea is Now this story shows us the duplicity of Jonah. The only reason there's a storm is because of Jonah. The reason these people are in danger is because he was not faithful to God. Yet, all of a sudden, Jonah now shifts from being this selfish prophet on the run to someone that says, hey, I'll die for these people. Just throw me overboard. You see, Jonah, is referred to as a type of Christ. A type of Christ. Notice I say a type of Christ. Because what we see in the story of Jonah is pictures and fragments of the gospel story. Where one person, being Jonah, was willing to die in order that the people in this boat would live. And so Jonah 1.16, it says, at this, when the storm grew calm, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So literally, these people begin to worship God, worship the one that created the heavens and the earth. And because of the sacrifice of Jonah, salvation came to these people. Now, Why is this important? What does any of this have to do with identity? As I said, Jonah is a type of Christ. Jonah, I think, is important because he's one of the few prophets that Jesus himself calls by name. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. He says, now, someone greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was a type of Christ, but he wasn't Christ. Jonah's sacrifice really came from the fact that he made a mess to begin with. Jesus himself lived a perfect life, a sinless life. The sacrifice of Jonah saved a boat. The sacrifice of Jesus saved the world. You understand? Jonah deserved wrath. He deserved punishment. Instead, he gets grace. Because the next verse, let's say, did a, a giant fish, came and swallows him. Jesus, deserving of no judgment, no wrath, takes on and bears the wrath of God for you and I. And John 15, 13 says, greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And so Jesus, this person who ultimately gave everything when he deserved none of it, shows us a picture of love. You see, I've talked a whole lot about the secondary identities. But perhaps the question you've been asking yourself is the same question that I started off today. St. Harrison, if I'm none of those things, who am I? I came here today to tell you I believe from the Lord that your ultimate and primary identity is simply this, You and I are sons and daughters of the God of the universe. And the God of the universe loved his son and loved his daughters so much that he decided to die for each and every one of us to show us how much he truly cared for us. And so I want you to understand something. Your primary, your soul identity is simply this. You are a child of God. That's it, come on somebody. Everything else will never hold the weight of what you are looking for. I'm a pastor but that's not who I am. I'm a child first. I'm a father to some kids, but that's not who I am. I'm a child first. I'm a child of God. Come on, I want you to think about that thing in your life that you hold up as as, as primary, that you've been hoping will give you salvation. That's not who you are. You're a child first. And your sonship Your inheritance, it's been confirmed by the blood of Jesus. I have a friend, and she's uh, adopted, and as her story goes, uh, her parents, you know, kind of left her to be an orphan. And one of the things when you're raised as such is that you go through this, through life, kind of with this running narrative that's like, I don't belong. I'm unwanted. People are going to leave me. People are going to abandon me. But she said something funny. She said, you know, I'm an orphan. She said, but I'm not alone. She's like, because until God adopts you into his family. He said, we're all orphans. And so I want you to understand something. Maybe the reason that you've been going through life with that mindset of I'm unwanted, I'm unseen, I'm not cared for, tossed to the side, overlooked, abandoned, and maybe for some of us, some people in the natural on earth have made you feel that way. And for that, I'm truly sorry. But I want you to understand something. There is a God in heaven that through his son Jesus has paid the price to bring you into the family. And all God has in his family are sons and daughters. That's it. In the family of God, there are just sons and daughters. And so ultimately, I want you to understand the identity that you've been looking for is super simple, it's child of God. And I believe today, the Lord is extending an invitation for someone in this space. Come on, can we stand? Worship team, I'm gonna invite you up here because we're gonna sing. There's an invitation to enter into the family of God. You see, one of the beautiful things about Christianity is that Christianity is one of the only identities that isn't achieved, it's received. Most of what you've done in your entire life, you've had to achieve it. I want you to understand here today, there's nothing that you have to do to enter into the grace of Jesus other than say yes. There is an identity that is waiting for you simply to be received. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, as the Holy Spirit is stirring in our hearts, If there's someone today that wants to enter into a new identity, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I want to give you everything, Jesus. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my soul. I want to live as a child of the king. If that's you today, I'm going to count to three and just show me your hand. All you're saying is, God, I'm coming home. I want a new identity today, Jesus. I'm going to count to three and just show me your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, we're coming home today. Jesus, you see every single hand and every single heart. God, as you're stirring in this place, I just pray for the people that are being drawn to you, drawn to come home, drawn to your love. God, may they receive new life in you. May they receive a new identity in you. God, thank you that you are so good and so faithful. I thank you for every decision that's being made, God. So we give you everything right now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca? We would love to connect. Until next time, take care.